faithwire.com. Kyle Rittenhouse takes the stand. Today's Wednesday, November 10th, 2021. I'm Dan Andros. We'll have this top story and more on today's 4 and 3 podcast from CBN's Faithwire. Want to welcome in regular listeners to the CBN News Daily Rundown. We've joined forces with them. We're here each Wednesday with you. Four big stories, three things you need to know about them, all from a Christian perspective. That's what we do here. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. We're here Monday through Friday. Would love to have you with us and joining me today. As always, are Billy Hallowell and Trey Gons Phillips from CBNSFaithWire.com. What's going on, guys? Doing well. How are you? Well, you know, it's middle of the week here, man. We're halfway <laughs> right. home. Right. Living it's hump dream. day. It is. So, it is. Um, there. <laughs> uh, I'm going to talk about Matthew McConaughey because he's on cancel watch now. Oh, uh, no. We don't know what's we don't oh, know what's no. going to happen. But uh, he <laughs> came out and said that he is not a fan of the vaccine mandates, particularly for uh, kids. Uh, so we'll have some of the details on that. And he's got three kids, so he's got skin in the game. Mm. Mm. Well, we've also got this case that the Supreme Court heard oral arguments for, and it's really interesting. It, it basically merges the death penalty, inmates' rights, and religious liberty. So we're going to break that down. Yeah, definitely an interesting case there for sure. And um, seeing uh, another case unfold in dramatic fashion is this Kyle Rittenhouse trial that has been um, going the past few days, and it really went to a new level today. We'll start there with story number one, the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. Three things you need to know, starting with number one, uh, the details. Kyle uh, Rittenhouse is indeed uh, on trial for murder after he went to um, protests in the wake of the sh- police shooting of Jacob Blake. And he was there and he went, as he said, to go defend stores because he saw the rioting and the looting. Uh, and the protests and things of that nature that were going on. So he said he went down there, uh, brought his gun, brought his AR-15, and it ended up being confronted by other people. Uh, On the video, you can see um, that he is being attacked by two people, one with a skateboard, another guy points a gun at him, and he ends up shooting back in what he says is self-defense, and two of those people ended up dying. Uh, And so now he is on trial, and there are some... He, he took the stand, guys, today. He he waived his um, constitutional right to not have to take the stand, and so he he ended up actually uh, going on. And um, I'm not going to play the clip because it's, it's, it's hard to listen to. It's definitely hard to watch. But he had basically a panic attack uh, right there on, on national TV. And, I mean, he's a, he's a teenager. It's very easy to understand how over your life is on the line here in especially when you think you did nothing essentially wrong in the sh- in the shooting part of it now you could question maybe was it a good decision to go down there in the first place um but in his mind he feels he acted in self-defense so now he's seeing his life you know potentially flash before his eyes and so i can imagine how overwhelming that moment is for anybody let alone a kid and so he had a bit of a breakdown Unfortunate reactions online, of course, uh, to that as we've come to expect and know. But uh, over the years, you know, with social media, we kind of know what's coming there. But um, but there's been a couple interesting moments. And in, in fact, the judge lashed out at the prosecutor um, for basically insinuating guilt in Kyle Rittenhouse by commenting on the fact that he was quiet after being charged when, of course you have the constitutional right to remain silent 
uh, when you're charged. And so uh, the judge was not happy with that. Also not happy that he brought something up in the courtroom without bringing to him first. And so this was multiple things that irked the judge. And uh, here's, here's what the judge said. Why would you think that that made it okay for you without any advance notice to bring this matter before the jury? You are already, you were, I, I was astonished when you began your examination by commenting on the defendant's post-arrest silence. That's basic law. It's been basic law in this country for 40 years, 50 years. I have no idea why you would do something like that. And it gives, um, uh, well, I'll, I'll leave it at that. So I don't know what you're up to. And that went on, and he really lashed out at him, and he let him have it some more uh, after that. But um, uh, later on, here is that same prosecutor questioning Kyle Rittenhouse and asking him about his gun and why he got his gun. And then he brings in video games. Listen to this exchange here. You picked it out because it looked cool. I thought it looked cool. Yes, that's the reason, yes. It resembled the types of weapons that are used in first-person shooter video games, correct? I don't really play first-person shooter video games. I have, but I believe there's a variety of guns, including shotguns, pistols. It there's guns in video games that resemble all guns. Isn't it true when you would hang out at, with Dominic Black, you'd play Call of Duty and other first-person shooter video games? Sometimes. And those are games in which you use weapons like AR-15s to pretty much shoot anybody who comes at you, correct? It's a video game where two players are playing together. I don't really understand the meaning of your question, to be honest. Isn't one of the things people do in these video games try and kill everyone else with your guns? Yeah, the video game. It's just a video game. It's not real life. Ah, that moment when you get owned by a teenager as a prosecutor. It's just a video game. It's not real life. I mean, the insinuation that somehow playing these video games automatically means that you want to go out and kill people is just an absurd, an absurd leap to make. I mean, millions and millions of people play these video games and seem to be successful at not shooting people the next day. Also, uh, as one commenter said, you know, I play Mario Kart, but I don't go around throwing turtle shells at other cars on the road. I mean, it's like, you know, <laughs> you know, well, it, I do. It, you I do. Mean, yeah. I yeah. Do. It, it's just like, yeah, I mean, there's arguments to be made. Like, are the video games healthy for you overall if you're just all consuming them all the time? Yeah. But like th to make this leap like this is his big to me, it shows how little they have on the case. If you're hinging your hopes on the fact that this guy played Call of Duty once. I mean, it's it's a stretch. It's quite a stretch. But he, he does seem to be really trying to get him to say, you wanted to kill people. You like killing, huh? Um, it, it seems like that's the road he's going down. So, so number three here, guys, why does it matter? I mean, we're starting to see this, um, I think, this shift in society where people are getting charged for things when now I'm not a legal expert. But all of the commentaries I saw leading up to this was that there's not much of a legal case against Kyle Rittenhouse here. And so for for the concern here is, are we seeing the politiz politicization of the um, criminal justice process where we're going to start prosecuting crimes and charging people with crimes 
even if we don't think necessarily there's much of a legal case, if any at all, because the mob is demanding it. So that to me is a concern that uh, that should be a, a closer look should be taken there. Yeah, and it seems like social media drives that, right? The anger, yeah. the frustration, all of that. It's fine to protest. It's fine to be frustrated as long as you do it peacefully. But I think that danger of people's emotions dictating how a case plays out, that's yeah. a really mm -hmm. dangerous thing. And I think we've watched that intensify, you know. And, and by the way, I mean, his emotional... You know, spectacle there. I would imagine it's a very scary thing because even when this case ends, this doesn't end, oh. right? Yeah, this is going to be for the rest of his life. This is going to be what he, in many ways, publicly will be defined by. Right. Which is yeah, yeah. And I'll just add real quick, Trey, before we go back to you there. And that's that's the unfortunate thing. If there really is no legal case, if that's true, and what the experts are saying there is true, I mean, that's just so unfair to Kyle Rittenhouse then because. Now he's got to go through this murder trial um, and, and, like you said, have that associated with him the whole time um, when maybe it just shouldn't even have come to this in the first place. So, Yeah, I mean, it seems so often we make these choices based on, well, if we don't move forward with this trial, if we don't charge this person with this thing, there'll be rioting and we just don't want the city to be destroyed. So let's go ahead right. and, and move forward with this, uh, which is no way to govern and no way to run a justice system. Um, but it's happening everywhere. Like it's not just in our politics. It's not just in uh, the judicial ju judicial system. Uh, like uh, Barry Weiss, formerly at the New York Times, she said, you know, who runs the New York Times? She said, it's not uh, the editors. It's not the publisher. It's not even the masthead. The people who are running the New York Times, she said several times in different interviews, is Twitter. It's people on social media. If people are, they, if if the Times knows people are going to get outraged over something, they'll pull a story. Uh, they won't run it uh, at all. In in a lot of cases, it's, that's essentially what happened with the Tom Cotton debacle. Yeah. If you go back and talk about that, it's just, uh, you know, they people got outraged on Twitter, and usually it's not even a big group of people. By the way, it's a handful of people who have a lot of followers, and sometimes a blue check mark. Uh, they say something and then uh, it goes viral. But then also sometimes it's not even people with a huge following. I remember Abigail Schreier's book on the transgender craze. Yeah, like one comment. Uh, there was one. There was one tweet at Target about the book being transphobic. Yanked and because it. of that one tweet that had hardly any likes or retweets, Target pulled the book completely from its from its store. Yeah. Uh, it, obviously, they ended up reinstating it. But that's just showing you how much power these outlets. Uh, you know, these social media users have yeah. over these outlets and these companies. Yeah, it shouldn't even happen in the first place. And maybe it's a longer story we look into at some point, guys, which is the, you know, basically the laziness of media to use Twitter. Like, oh, yeah. there's there's a few people on Twitter making a point I like. And so, you know, Jim XYZ1297 on Twitter. With an egg. With an egg <laughs> said this. And so, whew, Twitter's outraged. And, you know, it's just because it echoes their point. It's the lazy way of doing journalism. So... Yeah. Um, but anyway, let's let's move on. All right. So story number two, Matthew McConaughey uh, is potentially on the chopping block after last night. <laughs> uh, he, he was at the New York Times Deal Book Summit uh, and he told uh, the host there uh, that he's opposed to vaccine mandates for kids. Uh, he said they should not be forced to take the shots against COVID-19. He said he and his wife are both fully inoculated against the virus. He said that's great. He, he 
they did it of their own choice. There was no mandate in place, you know, requiring them to do it. Uh, they chose to do it because they wanted to, but he said he is not comfortable with uh, forcing kids to do it. He said, I couldn't mandate having to vaccinate the younger kids. Uh, I still want to find out more information. Uh, and then he said that right now I'm, uh, I'm not vaccinating mine. I'll tell you that, referring to his three kids. Uh, he said, do I think that there's any kind of conspiracy theory about the vaccine? He said, no, uh, we've all got to get off of that narrative. There's not a conspiracy theory about vaccines, uh, but there needs to be more time and more information to come out, uh, particularly with the myocarditis risk. We've seen a few one-off situations, at least where the kids have had severe reactions and even a couple have passed away as a result uh, of myocarditis. Now, none of that has been completely proved that's still being looked into but that's a that's a a known possible risk for particularly for younger males uh, but so anyway because of all of that and the questions uh, McConaughey said that there just needs to be needs to be more time before people should be uh, compelled to roll the dice, he said, uh, to determine whether the numbers are in their favor as far as getting their kids vaccinated over just letting them run the risk of potentially getting COVID, uh, given the vast majority of kids would be would be completely fine. That's what history has, has told us. Uh, so he said, I would not mandate it for kids uh, just yet. And uh, so that, those are the details here. Number two, uh, it reminded me of, of a, a Harvard professor of immunology uh, in late October, he serves uh, as a voting member of the U.S. Uh, FDA uh, Advisory Committee. He said that it won't be clear whether vaccinating kids against COVID-19 is safe until we've widely administered the shots. Uh, he said, we're never going to learn about how safe the vaccine is until we just start giving it. Uh, that's just the way it goes. Uh, so, you know, McConaughey, is, I think, is tapping into the way a lot of people feel, but it's, you know, it's yet to be determined if he's going to be canceled for it. But I think why it matters is he's got skin in the game. He's a person with a voice. He's considering a, a gubernatorial run in Texas. Uh, you know, who knows if he's actually going to go through with it, but that's something that he's still uh, exploring is what he, he told the New York Times. He's still looking in to see, you know, where he falls on all the issues to decide if he wants to run for office, if he would be of any value uh, in politics. So, but Definitely, I think why it matters is is a lot of parents are dealing with these questions, and it's important for people who have platforms like McConaughey to give voice to that, uh, to kind of normalize the fact that the people who have questions are not the crazy ones. Uh, it's okay to have questions, and it's good to have a voice like McConaughey saying, hey, I've got those questions too. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the that's kind of the key, though, right? Being able to ask questions. I feel like anybody who has any kind of curiosity, they're looked at as total nut jobs. And here you right. have somebody who is a a very well known a lister who actually has questions because he's a normal human being as well. So to me, I think that doesn't open the door to conspiracy. And as you were saying, he made it very clear. I'm not. I don't think we should be embracing conspiracies. It's not about that. But I do want more information. And so to me, that's a reasonable, rational place to be on all of this. Yeah. And, and it seems like we've landed in this place as a as a culture right now that if you question what the government says, now you're a conspiracy theorist, which is a really dangerous road to go down. Trey, I know we've kind of chatted about this mm -hmm. on previous episodes that you don't can you just even if you whatever you think about vaccines, like just take that issue aside. If if you can't see the problem with you disagree with the CDC, we're going to shut you down. I mean, you can't take away the ability to question, even if you're wrong. Like You still need that ability to question because the minute you just start accepting that this is an OK pattern, that this is an OK setup, that 
whatever the government says is true. I mean, I don't know how, you know, a lot of people on the left are, are, are claiming that the country is systematically racist. Why on earth would you give them carte blanche <laughs> on the truth now? a systematically racist country. Why would you let them, why would you then turn around and say, you know what, don't question anything they say or else we're going to put you in social media jail. I mean, that's just a, it's just a dangerous road to go down when it comes to freedom of speech. And this is how it starts when it starts by using fear. When, When government control and this overreach of first amendment rights happens, it always is based on something out of fear you know, there's a legitimate concern about a pandemic. People don't want to be spreading pandemics around. Um, and so uh, but so then they use that fear of that to then justify all these overreaches. And you're seeing it even worse in countries like New Zealand. I know they're protesting now, Australia. Um, so, I mean, if you value your freedom, you will cherish even the morons who speak up by saying crazy conspiracy theories. You will say, look, let them have the right to talk. Well, Put your warning label on it if you want. I mean, whatever. I mean, I, I have no problem with that. But um, it just seems like it's an obvious red flag to default. have your default position be whatever the government says is true. Yeah. And I think it takes it takes some courage for uh, coming from the world he comes from, for McConaughey to take the stand he did and to be pretty transparent and honest with this comment. I was kind of surprised when I watched the clip to see how comfortable he was saying what he said. You can watch yeah. the you can watch it over at faithwire.com. But you know, it might be a case that McConaughey is just t- t- too big to cancel now. Right. Yeah. Well, you I know, mean yeah, real quick, Billy, before you go. I mean it must be nice, you know, I mean how many gajillions of dollars does Matthew McConaughey yeah. like the worst case scenario is he's lounging at his mansion. You know, like, and he said that. Like yeah. he said, he, I'm I'm successful, so I like it, it, this is not a risk for me to be <laughs> right, open. Right. Yeah. But see, that's sad to me that it takes people getting that successful to <laughs> right. feel comfortable yeah. saying these things. And that is the truth. And everyone knows that. You know, I find it fascinating that these people who continue to deny all of these issues, right, bias in media, bias in, you know, education, they deny all of these things, yet, you know, confidence in all of these arenas has plummeted and they just haven't really learned their lesson. But it's sad that you have to kind of get there to be so open. And I would say in his case, very recently, in fact, when his book came out, he was talking about basically saying that Hollywood, you know, mistreats middle America. I mean, that was the way mm-hmm. that it came off. He was very open about that. So this is not the first time that he's kind of come forward with something like this and, and really sort of chastising the dismissal of most of the country yeah. among his peers. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. And uh, we'll we'll keep an eye on that as as it goes forward. If McConaughey really uh, takes this thing all the way to the finish line and and does indeed uh, try to run for some political office there, maybe governor, um, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Well, let's lighten the mood with the death penalty. <laughs> uh, so our next story is really it's actually a fascinating story. Yeah, every once in a while you get one of these Supreme Court cases that makes you kind of scratch your head and say, "Wow." And this is one of them. It's a a case about an inmate named John Henry Ramirez. He was sentenced to death for a fatal 2004 stabbing. He um, was convicted of stabbing a 46-year-old man to death named Pablo Castro. And so this particular case, it doesn't seem like John Ramirez at all is denying the crime or trying to get out of the death penalty directly. What he was trying to do was have his Baptist pastor... Um, because he identifies as a Christian now, 
come in while he's being put to death and verbally pray out loud. And also, you know, the pastor would have his hand, you know, on his foot or his hand. I guess it was his foot, which might sound strange, but obviously the laying on of hands is something many Christians believe strongly in. And so that was something he wanted, but Texas denied it. And this case has volleyed its way to the Supreme Court. And it, it's really interesting. You've got the pastor in this in this particular case who is speaking out. His name is Pastor Dana Moore. Um, he's out of Corpus Christi, Texas, and he has worked with this inmate, you know, in ministry and and spent a lot of time with him. And the pastor, I found the most you know compelling element of the story is that the Supreme Court's hearing the arguments between the inmate and Texas. And by the way, Texas says they don't want to allow this because it's distracting. And they apparently did allow it at one point, I think up until 2019. But if you remember, there were all those stories about, you know, botched, you know, executions and all of that. And so it seems like Texas was trying to take away any distraction. They feel like an, a verbal prayer is a distraction, that it's a potential security risk to have this pastor in the room with him. So anyway, all of that is going on, but the pastor has spoken out and he said, quote, what harm, what is the harm of that? Having my hand on his foot. It's, it's a sincere request. And so he's been basically saying, I don't understand what the issue is. Why can't we do this? And then you've got the justices, you know, out there during this is 90 minutes of, you know, back and forth on this, talking about all sorts of different issues. You know, Kavanaugh had a fear that once they, if they approve this, then you're going to have the floodgates open of tons of people requesting all sorts of different things, right, um, you know, for their executions. And so there's a lot to sort of consider there with the precedent that they set, which is one of the reasons why this case matters. But the case does really matter because I think the most interesting argument on behalf of the inmate is that this is a restriction of his First Amendment right to practice religion, not allowing him to have these things in his final moments. And a lot of his supporters have said, hey, you know, in your final moments, that's when you think very differently about life, when you're looking death and the afterlife, when you're looking death in the eye. And mm. so we're expecting a ruling at some point, I think early 2022. So it's an intriguing case for sure. Yeah. And what and what is the primary, what is the big argument that it, for against this? Is it is it a safety thing? What is the main reason why they don't want to allow it? They don't seem to be making, I haven't seen a compelling argument. They, they brought up safety, which seems strange to me. This is a person who's going to be, you know, bolted down to a right. table, right? Uh, so the, uh, to me, I'm assuming because you have to have all of this, you know, properly done so that the person is executed in the right manner. And there aren't any of the, the horror shows we've seen unfold in past cases where people don't die immediately or there are other issues that they're afraid there's going to be some sort of distraction that prevents it from going smoothly. But I, I haven't really understood why. Now, they seem to also say, by the way, Texas, that they feel like he's been trying to delay his execution with all of this. That's their take on it. Well, he's using this because he was supposed to be executed, I think, September 8th. Uh, and, you know, so he was able to delay it a little bit. But I don't know. I mean, look, look people change. It's quite possible he's had a heart change and just wants this. Yeah, I just wonder too. Like, is there the claim, or at least one claim that I think I saw? And Billy, correct me if I'm wrong, is that uh, it it could disrupt the orderliness. Like, it's supposed to be a really solemn and orderly, like organized. You go through this, 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 and to have a pastor in there or something could, I guess, cause some, you know, an, an emotional upheaval, or, you know, something like that that could disrupt the orderliness of something. But 
it just I think if somebody in in America, particularly a citizen inmate or not, they've got these First Amendment rights and they should have them up until the end of their life. And particularly as believers, I always think you know that it's never too late until it's too late, right? To 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 come to Christ and to get right with God. Um, so it just, it, it bothers me from a, as a believer. Uh, and I understand there, there might be some legality issues and some process issues that, that I don't fully understand, but as a believer, it's just like, I want people to have that opportunity, you know, to be able to, um, to be with their pastor, to have someone pray over them or have someone hold their hand as they're, uh, as they're being uh, put to death, you know, whatever. Uh, it's just, it's such a difficult subject because I think it's not something that we I cry. No, it's not something we really think about. You know, it's it's, so it's it's interesting for sure. Yeah. Stephen Breyer said it was interesting, you know, during the the arguments, Justice Stephen Breyer, he's like, look, we have experience and there's never been a problem, meaning that other states and the federal government have made similar accommodations and they've never had any sort of thing happen that would make them say to to his knowledge, oh, this is a bad idea. So he seemed a little perplexed by it. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Interesting stuff indeed. And I'm sure uh, uh, we'll have that update whenever it does come down. Um, all right, guys, we have a couple minutes here left. Let's uh, go through a headline or two here if we can get to it. But I uh, wanted to bring this one up here. Um, Joel Rosenberg sat down with um, CBN's Chris Mitchell recently talking about it was the one year anniversary of the Abraham Accords, President Trump's kind of mm-hmm. signature foreign policy achievement there. And um, it's been one year, guys. And um, it, honestly, a lot of progress was made where you had these countries that would never consider working with Israel looking to strengthen ties with them and uh i mean from by all accounts here i mean this thing seems like a big success yeah no i mean i I think it's interesting to me that somebody and this is what fascinates me about trump somebody that was seen as the biggest warmonger with his words never really implemented any sort of war during his time and then had this insane peace treaty that whether or not you know people are going to say he wasn't involved at all well he's the president he presided over it um, that that's remarkable to me, especially in the Middle East, where these sorts of things are impossible. Yeah, yeah. No, it it is interesting to see that juxtaposition, right, of this uh, this bombastic president uh, who's able to keep the peace physically, uh, and and also, you know, like you said, uh, Billy, bring about all these all these different negotiations, and uh, it certainly is probably you know the pinnacle of his achievement as president because it did happen under his administration. What no matter what his level of involvement was, it happened over his uh, you know purview or under his purview. So uh, definitely interesting. And I, it's crazy that's, that that was a year ago. I just remember those stories kind of just coming in uh, and people being like, wow, I can't believe this is happening. And now it's been a year. Yeah. And uh, one of the latest signs of cooperation, Israel and the United Arab Emirates signed a joint venture to send uh, an unmanned vehicle to the moon by 2024. Uh, and then that, that was followed by a surprise visit last month during a a multinational military exercise when the commander of the UAE Air Force met with his Israeli counterpart. So, I mean, just in stuff that you wouldn't have thought of even happening before, um, you know, are, are really cool to see now. So, all right, t- time for one more here, guys. Franklin Graham uh, recovering from uh, some heart surgery. And I know our audience, uh, big fans of Franklin Graham, um, often react um, strongly to a lot of the things we post when he's saying things out there, which he's often vocal but I had a successful heart surgery. Yeah, you know, I I think that it's always one of those things when you see these things, it, it puts it in perspective. He's such a larger-than-life personality and a person who's done so much. 
um, for faith and, you know, Samaritan's Purse and you go down the line. Um, and, and it's always disheartening to see the negative comments when these when these things yeah. happen. But it's heartening to see the the positive prayers and well wishes and, you know, hoping that he that he gets uh, gets back up quickly and can get back to work. Yeah, he just tweeted actually a, a few minutes ago. He said, I want to thank you all uh, who have prayed for me and shared such encouraging words after my surgery. It means more than you know. I thank God for the good reports. My doctors say I am doing well and recovering normally. Yeah, so, well, good news awesome. on that front. That's good. And I look, I had open heart surgery a couple of years ago, and um, I'm impressed that he's uh, out tw- even tweeting a day afterwards yeah. because, man, anyone who's had the, um, you know, the surgery you got these chest tubes in and you just want to curl up and die. It's horrible. So I don't even, you don't even want to do anything, let alone tweet. So yeah, kudos for him for being up and about. And uh, I don't want to tweet on a normal day. So. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that's true. Me either. All right. Hey, that's all the time we have for today. As always, head on over to cbnnews.com and faithwire.com for more news from a Christian perspective. We'll see you back here tomorrow. God bless.